Welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm Evan Brand, and I have a quick question for you that I want you to tweet me, or you can send it on Facebook or my website, notjustpaleo.com. Use the contact page and get a hold of me and let me know if you would like question and answer episodes because oftentimes you already know what the guest is going to say or you may be more interested in what I have to say about a particular subject and I get a lot of emails and I just email those people and then I get the same question next week so I may do question and answer Uh, hit me up at my website and let me know and then we're going to get right into this episode so leave a review on iTunes in the meantime and thanks for tuning in All right, I am back with Oren Miller, who is a building biologist, and we're going to get into housing and some of the potential downfalls or dangers of mainstream homes, and then what you can do instead to make a more sustainable and healthier home. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Evan. Glad to be here. Yeah, so... I found you by looking around online. I don't know how I came across the site. I think I was looking for uh, information on how to reduce EMF inside the home, and then I may have found your all's website. But right, do you want to talk a little bit about what you do? You're a building biologist, right? Sure. Let me give uh, an introduction to our profession and to our work to your uh, to you and to your listeners. Basically, uh, the building biology profession came into being. Um, literally after the destruction of the housing stock in Germany uh, after World War II. So a group of architects and builders there uh, and physicians and people who were sensitive to uh, the toxic uh, influences from homes uh, got together and uh, founded this profession called Baubiologie. So the German word Bau, B-A-U, is uh, translated into English as building or home. And Biologie is their uh, German pronunciation of our word biology. So these are individuals who were um, having difficulty with uh, the toxic materials and the mold-producing protocols that were used in the rapid rebuilding of the housing stock in post-war Germany uh, in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, And so after some time, they they decided to found this profession. Uh, And out of that, one of their uh, individuals, one of their architects who took the training came to the United States 27 years ago and founded the International Institute for Biobiology and Ecology here in America. So I am a graduate of that program, uh, certified uh, building biology environmental consultant. And what we learn over the course of uh, three seminars, which are five days in length, uh, basically, you know, nine to five, uh, and I'm part of the faculty now for the um, electromagnetic field seminars. Uh, we have beginning level or, or uh, entry level seminars uh, and then advanced level seminars now. So basically, one seminar will focus on electromagnetic fields. That includes electric fields, magnetic fields, both from house wiring, all the radio frequencies that w- and wireless devices that we're exposed to, smart meters, cell phones, uh, Wi-Fi, uh, and that sort of thing. And then uh, a second course and also uh, dirty electricity. And, and um, so those are the four types of EMFs. Electric fields, magnetic fields, uh, all the RF or radio frequency wireless devices, and then the so-called dirty electricity harmonics from dimmer switches. And then another seminar would be uh, focused exclusively on indoor air quality. And that uh, five-day seminar teaches people how to identify and uh, remedy a mold, chemical outgassing, natural gas, lead, radon, asbestos, carbon monoxide. Uh, So... 
I learned how to do that as well and did that for many years before I began to focus exclusively on EMFs four years ago. The third seminar in the cycle is uh, a five-day seminar on natural building materials. So that's led by two architects, uh, both Canadian-born, but one of them, Paula Baker-Laporte, is living in Oregon. Uh, and the other is Stephen Collette up in uh, Ontario. And they teach the seminar uh, from the standpoint of how to choose materials that don't produce mold and don't produce chemical outgassing for people. So anyone can enter the cycle at any point. There's no particular order that you have to take these in. And then once you've taken the three and passed, and almost everyone does, uh, the, the test and completed the, each seminar, there is a, um, a case study that is done. I'm actually today reviewing uh, the, um, uh, the proposed uh, analysis of a home uh, evaluation report for two different individuals who are ready to become certified. Uh, and there are some online courses. And that's how you become a building biologist. So it doesn't sound too hard then. So now basically the idea is we're trying to just create a healthier home. I mean how toxic or uh, how much sickness is the normal mainstream housing construction causing people? That's a very good question. And the answer is depending on where you live in the country – um, quite toxic, although that's been changing. I have to give credit to the building industry uh, to because they are making attempts to be healthier and more ecological. So, for instance, if you live in the northern climate, uh, heating zone or northern climate where you have to heat in the winter, you, you have to close your home up. So ventilation and uh, building science, as they call it, and uh, air pressures uh, are all very important. And that also has an impact on how the wall system operates when you have a temperature gradient where you have 60 or 68 or 70 degree temperatures inside the house, indoors, with a certain latent ability of the moisture or the air rather to hold uh, moisture in vapor form versus where the relative humidity could be, um, you know, 40 to 60 percent relative humidity versus outside when it's 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or zero or 10 below like a is in Minnesota and other places in the north. Uh, the lower the temperature, the drier the air. So you have the situation where the moisture will be in the air, and when that air moves into the wall cavity, the moisture comes with it from the indoor air to the wall cavity of the exterior walls, and that will condense on the um, dew point in that wall and form mold. And fiberglass is notorious for being uh, hydrophilic, meaning it holds on to that moisture and it just doesn't dry out uh, very quickly, particularly if it's sealed up because that's the direction that the uh, building, the green building movement, well, not the green building mo movement, but the building trade took literally after the um, oil embargo of 1973. So for the last, uh, what, what is that, 40 years actually, we've been uh, tightening up our houses that is the code throughout the United States, as well as, you know, in the, in the South and where you're from, um, uh, and then that's uh, in uh, Central Texas, where you will put this kind of uh, tight uh, envelope in a home, these vapor barriers, for a completely different reason, which is to keep air-conditioned air in and to keep the moist heat out from the outside. But whichever way it goes, uh, it turns out that this has uh, terrible consequences because when moisture gets trapped in these walls, it can't dry out within this critical 36 to 48 hour time period during which you have 
um, uh, the mold growing to what they call the mycelia stage. And that's when you have uh, the, uh, the release of these so-called mycotoxins or, or uh, toxic um, airborne products from the uh, life cycle of the mold. And interestingly enough, you live in Austin, uh, and, and that was Austin was the first city, according to George Swanson, the co-author of this book that we co-wrote, Breathing Walls, uh, where your city adopted the you, yours was the first to adopt the uh, uh, the vapor barrier to hold out uh, to keep moisture from moving through the wall. But because moisture does leak in, air does leak in, and the moisture goes with it, and then it condenses and causes mold. Austin is the first city to outlaw vapor barriers. It's very interesting. So our motto is we want to, instead of having walls, um, a wall system where you make the whole house uh, tight, and it's called build tight, ventilate right, there are problems with that when it fails. It fails in a big way. So our motto instead is you want your wall system to be waterproof so that rainwater doesn't get in, but vapor permeable so that the water vapor that may seep into the wall can dry out within that 36 hours. So just, just one example. So, so then there's all the, also this whole concept of outgassing from materials. Now, it turns out that in uh, the 90s, uh, the carpet manufacturers did quietly remove formaldehyde uh, from their uh, product, from their carpeting, because uh, mothers were complaining about it, and it was moving in the direction of class action lawsuits. So they took the formaldehyde out, and that's not a problem now. And now we have low VOC paints. Technically speaking, uh, volatile organic compounds, which are all derived from um, petroleum, uh, fragrances in, in fabric softeners and dryer sheets, but also in, in paints and sealants and, and uh, stains and finishes, uh, they have been lowered and removed to the point where you have, if you have less than 200 parts per million, uh, then it's called low VOC paint. But that's really from the standpoint of the Environmental Protection Agency and outdoor smog. It turns out that the multiple chemically sensitive clients that we work with are still sensitive to that low amount of um, the volatile organic compounds that are in the paint and still toxic for these people. So for them, there are companies that have uh, began, uh, begun uh, formulating their paints specifically for chemically sensitive people. And they would include Aroma, R-O-M-A, Roma paint, uh, made overseas but uh, marketed through Atlanta. And they're going to start a manufacturing facility here. AFM, American Formulating and Manufacturing, is another company that completely switched over to these non-toxic um, uh, products uh, for their no VOC and low VOC paints out of San Diego. Um, Mythic paint out of Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi is another one. YOLO uh, is another so there are, and even Home Depot for that matter, uh, and some of these other uh, Walmart, they, they have lines now that are low and no VOC in their stores because the marketplace is demanding it. That's what's pushing uh, us in that direction. Yeah, that's a good point to make. You know, you mentioned the levels being unsafe or damaging to people even at the low VOC rating. I mean, it's the same thing with nutritional supplements or anything in the health world. The the recommended dietary intake for supplements and nutrients is way off it's nowhere close to what it should be so i'm not surprised this, to hear the same thing about housing and building materials 
Right. And there's this whole concept that uh, that is talked about. That's called greenwashing. Everyone's jumped on this bandwagon and they call their product green and, and sustainable. And it could be. Uh, I'm not I'm not criticizing them. I mean, the United States Green Building Council or USGBC now has a rating program called LEED, L-E-E-D, which stands for Leadership in Environmental and uh, let's see, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And they have LEED uh criteria or certification programs for commercial buildings. That's where it started, uh, which is very important because the housing stock, including commercial buildings, consumes a, a, a very large percentage of energy and uh, produces a lot of um, uh, greenhouse gases. So uh, so they're trying to revamp that uh, and make them energy efficient and, and uh, tighter so that they consume less fuel to heat and cool. But there are ways you can do that by the design of the house with thick wall construction and, and passive solar design and roof overhangs. And there are all sorts of ways that you can design a house. Uh, lighting, have more lighting coming in so you don't have to have as much artificial light in the daytime for light bulbs. Uh, so uh, they now have LEED uh, certification guidelines for, um, for residences. Now, interestingly enough, when I was in Minneapolis uh, five years ago, uh, and before that for five years there, before I moved to California about four and a half years ago, I served on seven green building committees there. And one of them was the Minnesota Green Store Program, which is an offshoot of LEED. It's uh, something that the Builders Association of Minnesota put together for the climate that they had there. So the, the uh, guidelines that we uh, have in the building biology profession were actually implemented and brought in at, at their request into their um, their guidelines, so you can actually can get credit for implementing these EMF-reducing strategies uh, with the Minnesota Green Star program. So you go to mngreenstar.com or .org, I forget which, and you can look at their manual and their checklist, and you'll see that section there that I helped write with my mentor, Spark Burmaster from Wisconsin when I lived in Minneapolis. Now I'm in Los Angeles, and I do um, EMF mitigation and uh, uh, evaluation and mitigation for clients here in Southern California, locally, as well as over the phone for people all over the country. And my website is www.createhealthyhomes.com, all one word, createhealthyhomes.com. I have a lot of information, as you know, Evan, um, on the different types of EMFs, where they come from, how they affect human health, and what we do about them. And uh, uh, so there's a lot of educating to be done for the public on this. Yeah, definitely. So what is your house like or what's your living situation like there in Los Angeles? Well, um, I have the great fortune of, of uh, being with a partner. Uh, she has, uh, lives in a house that has metal wiring in it, so we don't have electric fields where we live, and that's fortuitous. Most houses, in, and that was done for earthquake protection back in the 50s when this house was built. And that's true for a lot of homes in Southern California, not for health, but for earthquake protection. And also in the city of Chicago and in New York City, all five boroughs there in New York and all the counties in and around Chicago have metal cloud wiring. And that's what we recommend for new construction because it reduces electric fields, particularly where you sleep. But the, mo the majority of the clients that I work with have the plastic wiring called Romex uh, circuits in the wall. And for them, we want to reduce the electric fields at night. I noticed on your website that you have, you've, you've co-written a book about uh, improved sleep. And maybe I could talk about that for a moment. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So everyone knows about 
EMFs, uh, when they use the word the phrase EMF, they're usually thinking about magnetic fields. And they're not so common where you sleep. They're more common from um, they're more common from wiring errors, from current on your water pipes, uh, from outside power lines, and from point sources like transformers and motors. And I have articles on my website. If you go to createhealthyhomes.com, if you click on articles on EMFs on the left, that's a portal page that brings up a portal page with separate links to these individual articles that I've written about these specific types of EMFs. But And then the website for the profession, I should say, is uh, hbelc.org. That's Healthy Building Environmental Learning Center. Uh, so the, the abbreviation is, there's no W, it's just hbelc.org to learn about uh, the seminars or the certification track. Uh, there's also a, um, a link on the right to find a building biologist and you click through to another page and then on there, on that page you click the environmental uh, consultants link and then it brings up a table with names throughout the country, I'm on there, and it's listed initially alphabetical by, alphabetically by last name. And I just sent an email to our executive director to get the function back at the top of the columns so that when you click on the state slash nation link at the, or, uh, at the top of the column, it resorts the whole table by state so you can find a building biologist in your state, wherever you live in the country. Yeah, you'll, and, have, to, you'll have to email me all those links so people okay. can, can get those. All right, so... When it comes to sleep, the, the type of EMF that most people are exposed to at night is the most common EMF in the home, although radio frequencies are fast uh, overtaking that from Wi-Fi and tablets, but that's all another discussion, which we'll get to if we have time. But, but back to sleep, uh, the most common EMF, which is not the most harmful, but it is the most common, is called electric fields. And this is different from magnetic fields in the following way. All EMFs have electric and magnetic field components, or uh, all EMFs have that, those two components in them. They're literally at right angles to each other in space. Uh, and that's why they call them electromagnetic fields, because they have an electric field component and a magnetic field component. Now, it is the case that, at the, without going into the details, at the frequency of house wiring, which is 60 cycles per second in terms of the sine wave, uh, it turns out that the uh, electric field and magnetic field components are separate and distinct from each other. So you have to use different instruments to measure them. If you go into your bedroom with a so-called Gauss meter to measure magnetic fields and you don't find any, which is usually the case, that doesn't mean you don't have these other types which will affect the quality of your sleep. The other type is the electric field. The analogy that I use, Evan, to explain this to my clients, the, the difference between the two, is to think of uh, the, uh, a, a, um, a garden hose and you turn on the spigot, you've now flipped on the breaker for your circuits. So you've now energized or you've pressurized the hose with water, and that water pressure goes out to the end of the hose where you have a nozzle. Now that would be uh, your outlet. Now let's say you plug in a lamp cord, you plug in a lamp, but you don't turn the light on just yet. That's like adding another length of hose to your, um, your garden hose with the, the nozzle at the end of it where the switch is for the light. When you turn on that light, because of the pressure, because of the voltage, 120 volts, in that wire that you've plugged in with the breaker on, you have light. The light bulb uh, illuminates. The same, in the same way, when you squeeze the nozzle, the water flows out under pressure to water your garden. 
everyone has the experience, and that's, that produces current, by the way, when you do that, because you have flow. Flow is equal to current. Water pressure is equal to voltage. So when you let go of that nozzle, everyone has the experience that there's a kick still in that hose. The pressure's right there in your hand where that nozzle is. Squeeze it again, the pressure flows out, uh, the, the water flows out. Let go of it, the pressure's there. That means the pressure's there right up to your hand. In the same way, when you turn the light out at night of your uh, lamp by the bed, up at the bulb, you know, base of the bulb, the voltage is still there in that plastic cord from the wall to the switch. And it's still in the plastic Romex wire that's inches away from your head in the wall. Now, the electric field, therefore, is still there. The pressure's still there. An electric field comes out from the wall from the uh, circuit in the wall and from the cord you plug in, six feet. Now it diminishes with uh, intensity over that distance, but it's uh, so it's stronger the closer you are. But it comes out for six feet and then it collapses, and it comes out and then it collapses. Now without going into details, because you have this sine wave where you have go from zero polarity, to zero voltage, to 120 volts at the top of the peak and then back to zero as you go down and then you go up to 120 volts again, but you're going down below the, the zero line, the horizontal line in the sine wave uh, and back to zero. So you're alternating between 120 volts and zero, but you're alternating between positive and negative polarity in terms of the field. So the field comes out positive and then it comes back and it comes out negative and goes back. I'm telling you all this because what happens in the body is when you're sleeping, every cell has molecules made up of atoms, which themselves are comprised of um, uh, they have uh, positive and negative components, subatomic particles, in the form of protons and electrons, respectively. When that field comes out in a positive, of a, with a positive polarity, it's causing all the, neg the negatively charged uh, particles, the electrons, to be pushed away from the wall, uh, from the wire, and the positively charged particles, the protons, to be attracted to the wire. Now, they don't travel very much, but there is this um, pressure. And so what happens is 120 times a second, all night long, you have this agitating, oscillating influence it, down to the subatomic level with the charged particles in your body. So how does this relate to health? The way it relates to health is that it causes a whole host of symptoms that human beings did not have before AC electricity was uh, uh, not just invented, but discovered uh, and, and deployed in, um, uh, in, in the world about 100 years ago. So what happens is there is this uh, uh, several things. Number one, over the course of the night, we go through these uh, four stages of sleep every 90 minutes. And I know you're well aware of this, Evan. Basically, stage one is the most shallow, stage four is the deepest, and that process of going from stage one to four and back to one again takes about an hour and 15 minutes from what I understand. And that's called non-REM sleep because you're not dreaming during that point, during that time. Then it's followed by about 15 minutes of rapid eye movement or dream sleep, REM sleep. And that comprises one cycle, non-REM and then REM. Uh, and then you go into the second cycle of the night and you haven't woken up yet and you're fluctuating between stage one and stage four and back to stage one. And you're in stage one when you dream. The, tr the point is, my understanding is from the researchers that uh, that the more time you spend in stage four, the more rested and refreshed you feel when you wake up. What electric fields do is they, 
rob you of a good night's sleep by by keeping you from getting into stage four very often or for very long. And that's crucial. So um, even though I've spoken to people you know, who lead uh, support groups and they're talking about CPAP machines and which one to choose and, and all that, and I told them, you, you may not need these. I have clients who have been able to get off their CPAP machines. Not that I do that. I mean, they talk to their doctors about that. But the point is, we change the conditions uh, in the room in which they sleep so that they may not need it anymore. Uh, the one thing I can tell you is that the, the vast majority of people that we work with report improvement in their sleep. So you asked about my own situation. Well, we have metal wiring in the wall, so that, that makes it easy. But the majority of people in the country have this, this plastic uh, Romex. So what we do in a building biology consultation is uh, one of the things that we do is to check the electric field levels where people sleep. So there are various ways of testing that, depending on whether you use a handheld meter on the bed or the body voltage method, where the client actually pretends that they're sleeping holding onto a cylinder that's uh, connected to a voltmeter, which is then grounded to the earth, either through the ground um, of, a, of an outlet in the room or through a wire out the window. Uh, and then they have a walkie-talkie in the other hand, and then I'm out of the breaker panel in the basement or outside wherever, or garage, wherever it is, and I'm running through the breakers one at a time, I get the initial level, and then we turn off the breakers, and it goes down, and then we, I turn the breakers on one at a time, and I ask the client over the walkie-talkie, what's the number now? And then they tell me what the number is. If it hasn't gone up, that circuit can go back on and stay on overnight because it doesn't go within six feet of their body. And then I go down to the fourth breaker down, for example, and I turn that one on, and now I say it's 800 millivolts. I write that one down. That one gets turned off at night because we want to be below 100 millivolts relative to Earth. So we go through the panel, and maybe the, the next, uh, the next uh, you know, on the right side we go down, and the fifth one down, they say now it's 2,500 millivolts and the lights are on. So that's the one for the, for the outlets in the bedroom. But the other one was for a circuit that went in the floor underneath their bed to another room down the hall, but the circuit went through the eight foot or six foot bubble around their body, uh, if you understand what I, what I mean by that. And so the point is, our job is to find and reduce all types of EMFs in the, the sleeping area as the first thing that we actually do. So electric fields are the most common. Every, every bedroom has them. Um, even if you have uh, metal clad wiring like in Chicago, if you plug in one lamp, you're back up to a thousand millivolts now. So we will have clients then flip off breakers. I put little colored dots there and, you know, red will be for mother and dad. And then blue will be for their son's bedroom and green for their daughter. And there could be some overlap. But uh, we have a protocol that we follow to assess this. And then the whole family sleeps better. Um, and what this does is this helps uh, reduce the excess production of uh, estrogen and, and testosterone, reducing the... Uh, growth of um, hormone-dependent cancers. It helps the immune system uh, to function uh, more efficiently. And, uh, and, and so you don't have uh, hyper, uh, hyperreactivity in the immune system. Uh, you don't have rashes and allergies um, and other effects of, uh, in the immune system. In the nervous system, you make more of the happy hormones, serotonin and dopamine, and you don't have uh, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, uh, depression, headaches, fibromyalgia. Uh, with cancer, it actually helps with the uh, uh, protection against cancer uh, overall through the body. And then finally, the liver and the um, 
lymphatic system can detoxify better at night. This is all when mel- this is for melatonin now. That's the other thing. Melatonin is released, as you well know, by the pineal gland. It's manufactured, I don't know when, through the day, but it's released at night. And it's not just darkness and, and all the other things that we do in our routine to, you know, meditation and exercise to help promote good release of melatonin. But melatonin is not released in the presence of these electric fields. Uh, in spite of our best efforts. Uh, there's an improvement when you do these other things. But when you add to that, e- evaluating and reducing and eliminating your electric fields at night, that's the single uh, most effective way of consistently improving the depth and quality of sleep. Yeah, so I mean, in the easiest thing people could do is just they could get a voltmeter th- themselves. And what would you want to set it to, like a 1,000 millivolts to try to um, pick up? Well, okay. Uh, it turns out that this is easy to do. Uh, you can have a building biologist come to your house if you have one locally because he or she will really do a full survey of the whole home for all these different uh, types of EMFs and guide you on this. Uh, but I do have, Evan, on my website, uh, www.createhealthyhomes.com. Excuse me. If you click on the link on the left for EMF meters and instruments and then you scroll down to the section on electric fields, I have links there for protocols that I've written up with parts lists to make your own body voltage kit with uh, a Radio Shack multimeter and some wires and alligator clips for about $55. You can also buy a ready-made kit from uh, two companies, Less EMF in upstate New York and Safe Living Technologies in um, Ontario, Canada. They both sell ready-made kits with instructions on how to use this. I have another link in the next paragraph um, with a protocol that a client of mine helped uh, that she wrote and I edited it. I didn't need to reinvent the wheel. She already did it for me quite well. And so that protocol is there. So people can actually do this for themselves. The reason being, number one, if you just shut off the breaker for your bedroom, you, you will help yourself. But there could be one or two or three other circuits that are in that zone that you'll miss and you won't be getting the full effect. So it's kind of, it may be a, it, it may be a little bit of a hassle, and you may reset all your clocks well, and routers and stuff to shut off the whole house. But that's your guaranteed safest bet. I mean, so let me ask about outside EMF. So things like cell phone towers and different things like that. How much are you protected inside of your home? Does it matter on what the material of your home is? Like, does concrete? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so does concrete protect better than? say, just standard drywall and um, maybe like a clay outside, or let's go through some of the materials. Sure. Uh, It turns out that, uh, as uh, mentioned right before we started taping the podcast here, Evan, there's a gentleman right in your city there, uh, George Swanson. Uh, George Swanson is a, a building biologist and builder who is a pioneer in the use of magnesium oxide panels. Uh, And he and I and a third gentleman co-wrote a book called Breathing Walls. Uh, And it's a manual on how to build a house that does not have mold and outgassing. And one of the side benefits with the use of the uh, materials that we recommend is that it blocks radio frequencies from coming in. Now, uh, there's a company in Atlanta called First Nation Solutions that is uh, partnering with George Swanson. And uh, First Nation Solutions is building – they are a – a company that has been making modular homes for 40 years, but now they're going to be using these magnesium oxide panels. So it's an affordable way to have a prefabricated modular home custom built for you or use one of their uh, patterns. But to go through the materials real briefly, uh, you have magnesium oxide panels. Uh, 
where you live in, in Texas and where I live in Southern California, we have stucco on most of the homes, at least out here uh, and in most of the Southwest. That alone will block radio frequencies from coming in about 75%. Also, metal mesh window screen, not vinyl or plastic, but the metal, the old metal mesh window screen, which you can still get, that alone blocks radio frequencies from coming through the glass of your window. Again, another 75 or so percent. But otherwise, these frequencies come right through glass. There are other materials that you can put on, films that you can put on the windows, clear shield and uh, scotch tint. And so... If you have, and also for radio frequencies, if you happen to have uh, steel siding or aluminum siding, that will block radio frequencies from coming in. Um, uh, not so if you have wood siding or vinyl. Uh, the radio frequencies come right through that, unfortunately. So how about uh, concrete, just a concrete building, uh, like commercial or something like that? Oh, oh you're completely protected. Uh, concrete will block radio frequencies very well. Um, and there are some materials that we advocate in breathingwalls.com uh, that is uh, Durasol from Canada and Fastwall uh, from Oregon and also autoclaved aerated concrete. These are thick wall building materials that, uh, uh, that will block radio frequencies from coming in. There's also shielding paints and, and uh, uh, mesh, Cooper Coat, Cooper Tech, Y Shield, these are all available through uh, Less EMF and Safe Living uh, Technologies. Um, and Coopertech is available. It's a copper mesh that's used um, from Germany. Uh, I can get put people in touch with the distributors here, uh, Peter Sirk in San Diego. Uh, but basically, you can put uh, these materials on any house. You can paint the outside or the inside of a home. Uh, the Y Shield and Cooper Coat paint are primers. And then you need to put, uh, they're, they're non-toxic, uh, and they're black, at least the Y shield is, because it has carbon in it. And then you have to put a couple of coats of the top coat uh, over that. But that is, uh, that's another way of shielding oneself. It's another thing that a person can do in addition to that. You can actually get a tent, a, a canopy made of uh, a, a mesh material that allows the air to move through, but it blocks radio frequencies, and a lot of people do that. Uh, there's a woman named Diana Schultz in Orlando, who's a colleague of mine, a building biologist, who has uh, a portable uh, setup with wood that she has, uh, that you can put into a bag and take on a plane for people who are uh, electrically hypersensitive and need this when they go to visit a friend or go to a hotel, and they literally will erect this, this um, frame with the wood pieces in their hotel room, over their bed and under their bed as much as they can, and then put this uh, fabric up, which is a cotton-based fabric. It's very soft, but it has these um, uh, threads woven into it that block the radio waves, and, and our meters show no radio frequency uh, levels inside of the canopy at all. Yeah, I've seen those. They're expensive. They're about a they are. About a thousand bucks at a minimum, which is kind of high. So, you're right. Yep, yep. All right, so when... You have a home, and it sounds like most homes are pretty safe from outside influence of EMF. When you have a cell phone and your tablets and cordless t telephones and Wi-Fi in your home, are you counteracting all the benefits of your, your home protecting you from the outside? Well, Evan, you just hit the nail on the head. Here's the, the most interesting thing. I'll, get a, uh, I'll have someone who will call me and say, I've got a cell tower 
in my neighborhood. It's out my back window, and I'm concerned about it. Can you please come and check it out? I say, okay, I'll be there Thursday at 1 o'clock. And they, they confirm that with an email that says, yes, that's fine. And then at the bottom of their email, it says, sent from a BlackBerry. So I know that when I get there, I'm going to have to do some explaining. And I, I do uh, with, our, with all clients. We educate them at the beginning of the uh, day as to what EMFs are, where they come from, how they affect human health, and what we do about them. So what I do is I, we go in the backyard, and I'll uh, measure the radio frequencies from their particular cell tower, which didn't happen to be very high because it was out in a rural area and there wasn't a lot of traffic, and the, the antennas were pointed in a different direction uh, up on the tower. Uh, it's very directional with these cell towers, uh, or antennas, I should say. But in her home, I said, let's take a look at the levels of radio frequency exposure in your house. So right in her, her office, uh, she had her router with Wi-Fi enabled, of course, because that's how it comes uh, by default, uh, sitting right next to her chair. And the levels there were, were thousands and thousands of times higher than they were from the cell tower that she was concerned about that, that uh, had her hire me. And so I said, well, you don't need this. Your computer's right next to this router. We can turn that off, and you have a cable already in place between your router and your, your computer. She said, yeah, but my husband uses his computer in the dining room under what with Wi-Fi. So I, I, you know, my goal, Evan, is to, uh, by the end of the day, if I've done my job right, by educating them on what Europe and, and Israel and India and Russia and Australia are doing about this, like taking Wi-Fi out of schools and educating people about the problems because they have to pay for the healthcare uh, effects, uh, the, uh, you know, the adverse health effects that these people have, they pay directly for them. There's no middleman. There's no private insurance companies over there, uh, at least not for the majority of people. Um, when I tell my clients this, if I've done my job right, they'll have a serious conversation by the end of the uh, afternoon to go against the grain in the direction of uh, going back to hardwired uh, connectivity uh, or, or solutions for their telephone, their internet, their speakers, their television, instead of as the consumer electronics show in Las Vegas every year, like in January, the, the whole buzzword in, according to the newspaper this year was, we're entering the age of the quote, internet of everything, meaning they have uh, miniaturized transmitters and batteries so much that they can go into anything like your toothbrush, your tennis racket, your baby's diaper. I'm not kidding. Your baby's diaper gets wet. There's a chip in there that sends it, transmits a signal through the Wi-Fi to your cell phone to send you a text that your baby's diaper needs to be changed. I mean, this is where we're going. Uh, we have these transmitters everywhere, and there are people who are electrically hypersensitive to this. Uh, so that they're the primary people that I work with, 70% of my clients. The other 30% are people who are just health conscious. But for the general population, I say to people, you know, like parents who say, well, can you get my husband to stop using his cell phone so much or my son to stop using his, his iPad so much? And I say, well, let's not focus on them. Let's focus on you because you're the symptomatic one. You've asked me to come to your house, but we'll talk to everyone because the solutions that are necessary for you to get better do involve them because we're going to have to find some compromise to reduce the use of these devices in the home, but they'll be better off. You'll thank yourselves five years from now for listening to this guy in 2014 uh, because everyone around you is starting to get tumors or the time has elapsed that the tumors have now grown to the point where they are showing up and causing symptoms. And, and you, you, you took these things out of your home back in, at the time when no one thought that there was a problem.
Right. Yeah. So now, what if you turn down your your Wi-Fi? Because I know that if you go into the settings, most people have their Wi-Fi cranked up to a hundred. And if I just turn on my Wi-Fi, which I'm hardwired up right now, Ethernet. But if I uh-huh. turn on the Wi-Fi, I mean, I'll see fifty. Uh, 50 other people's Wi-Fi. So I guess the first question, which I p- can probably already answer, I'm protected in the home from everybody else's Wi-Fi, but... Uh, well, you are... You're, actually, okay, uh, that's a good question, Evan. So first of all, uh, people say to me, uh, I'm being cooked by all these trans- these these routers, right? And the truth is, if you, as long as, if you turn off the one, disable the one that's in your own home, and I'll get to that in a minute, um, and you see, you know, 10 others especially if you're in an apartment. If you're in an apartment, it could be difficult because the router in the next room on the other side of the wall is is really close. But that's, uh, we'll get to that. So let's say you're in a single family house uh, and you see eight other routers, but I tell people to look at the signal strength meter, which is always there, and, and you see it's only zero or one bar. And so what this means is all of these devices are capable of connecting to a signal that is so low that our meters, our radio frequency detectors and um, meters that we use, show a low level that is below the safe threshold, even according to our very stringent standards. And yet, you can, if you turn your router on, your Wi-Fi on, connect. You can connect to that router that's in another house. You know, if you have the uh, the password. Now, um, of course. What that leads to is the, is a misunderstanding. I have a, had a father, I, I mention uh, this, this example often, he said, you've convinced me that this is not a good idea to have in the closet next to my daughter's bedroom because the level is strong all night, all day and all night, 24-7, uh, like an ashtray filling the room with smoke from the router that happens to be in the closet on the other side of the wall or for some people right in their bedroom. Uh, I'm going to move it to the garage and that'll take care of things, right? And I say, well, yes, in the sense that she won't have uh, exposure to that those frequencies at night when she sleeps because it's too far away. It's at a safe distance now. However, uh, he's not getting the, the whole picture here. He's not understanding that uh, I say, well, now, why do you even need Wi-Fi at all? Um, why can't you just have a hardwired connection? I, well, I didn't don't get that far yet. I just say, why do you still need the Wi-Fi? And he says, well, in the daytime, she needs to use it for her homework for doing her homework on her laptop or her tablet in her bedroom. So I say, well, let's talk about that because you need to understand that this this is a two-way communication. The router's in the garage, but the laptop or the tablet is putting out very, very strong uh, frequency levels, stronger than the levels that cause, that, that are known to cause harm to cells in everyone. Not everyone uh, shows symptoms from that or develops disease because many most people can heal the uh, changes that occur um, when they sleep, just like people who chain smoked 40 years ago were able to heal the, the harm or the damage done to the cells, and not everyone got chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or died from lung cancer. But it's the same mechanics today, same curve, same everything as happened 40 years ago. Uh, and so... Uh, what he doesn't understand is that his daughter's ex- exposed to very high levels with the de- from the device that she has in her lap. And so I say, we can hardwire your house. There are ways we can do that uh, with Ethernet cables, with network extenders. There are all sorts of ways we can do that. And then back to this other part of what you said in terms of your question, 
yes, you are protected when you have the Ethernet cable, but what most people don't understand is when you plug an Ethernet cable into a laptop or computer and your router, that doesn't turn off or disable the Wi-Fi. So you have to go in and do that manually uh, through a computer. Uh, there's a way that you can do that through the browser to disable the Wi-Fi on the router from anywhere in the house, as long as you're connected with an Ethernet cable. But then you also have to do that for the laptop that's right in front of you and some desktops, particularly uh, iMacs. Uh, and then you're safe in terms of the the exposure. So our motto, Evan, is number one, reduce use whenever you can, and number two, increase distance when you have to use a wireless device. Right. Yeah, I've actually turned mine off. I went into the browser settings, and people can find out what it is. Like, for example, if you have a Linksys wireless router, if you go to 192.168.1.1. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, it depends on, on uh, it that, differs a little bit by. Yeah, yeah that's then, Linksys at least. But yeah, for mine, that's what I did. And I just turned yep. it down. And uh, good. occasionally I have people that want to, you know, use the Wi Fi. I just, I have the Wi Fi set to, I think, 5% output. So if I do turn it on, I'll put it on 5% output because it's now, like a 0 to 100. Now, how much safer is 5% versus 0 or uh, backwards? How much safer is 0 than 5%? Uh, well, well, 5% would be a lot more, a lot safer than 100%. Now, I, I didn't know that you could do that. How do you do that? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have it right here in front of me, but I remember going into the settings and when I was going to turn off the Wi-Fi, it said something like output – output uh, strength or something like that and i've actually tested it and know that it works because if you go outside i mean even 10 feet outside you you can't pick up on it anymore but when i first got this router i mean you could walk a football field away and still get five bars so i well, knew that there was something different but but, it's, go but ahead. see evan well that is very interesting I, first of all i, I i'm going to look and see is this in the control panel of the of the um yeah, this uh, is in the settings. This is under the Wi-Fi okay. settings in the uh, of the router. Browser. Yeah, yep. uh, of the computer or of the router. Yeah, of the router. But of course, you have to access it through your right. internet browser. Okay. Well, here, what this means and what this leads up to is the notion, as far as these, uh, as far as industry is concerned, that if the FCC says that one milliwatt per square centimeter is a safe level, then anything below that is completely safe. The problem with that is that level, which means a, a thousandth of a watt, which is a unit of energy, striking a half inch by half inch, which is a square centimeter, is the safe level. And that's where they found the beginning of so-called thermal effects, coagulation of proteins, uh, literally cooking of, of components of the cells of rats or whatever the laboratory animals were that they tested in these um, studies in the military in the 1950s. That is that and, and research like that where they only looked at the thermal effects or heating effects, is the sole model upon which the uh, legal limits have been set for the whole broadcast industry, including these unlicensed uh, transmitters that we all have in our homes and in our hands and in our pockets called cell phones, tablets, wife, you know, routers, uh, smart meters, and, and all of that. So the point is that anything less than that is considered safe. But the problem is when you convert that number one milliwatt per square centimeter to the unit of measurement used by the Europeans, which is one microwatt per square meter, where the numerator goes down by a factor of a thousand instead of milliwatts, it's microwatts, which is much smaller per meter per square meter, which is three feet by three feet. 
the math uh, equates that one to the number 10 million. And there's a chart on a, a table that I linked to from my website. You go to articles on EMFs. Then on that page, you click on the radio frequency EMF article link. And on that article, you scroll down to the section that I wrote that is entitled the FCC versus the rest of the world. You will see links in that section to these different tables uh, that I'm talking about. First is the FCC uh, thing, you know, the, their their directive that says what the legal limit is, how they determined it. Then this link to PowerWatch.org in England, which has this table, and there are a few other tables like that, which shows the FCC at the top of the list, and then all other all these nations below that, lower and lower. Uh, some of them uh, five, six orders of magnitude less, like where we are. We say 10 microwatts is a safe level, and 1,000 is uh, uh, safe, 1, 000, uh, uh, microwatts per meter squared. Uh, 1,000 is an extreme biological risk in the sleeping area, and the FCC says 10 million is safe. So we're talking apples and oranges here. It's like, it's like they're in the stratosphere, and, and different countries have different levels that are considered safe, uh, much lower. And so there's a whole movement that is going on, not just in Europe, but in, in, in these other countries I mentioned earlier, where um, not just parents and teachers, but government uh, officials and uh, regulators and researchers are all banding together and saying to the industry and to public health officials, we need to get a hold of this or else we're going to see an epidemic. Uh, they've seen this before, three other times, with lead in, in gasoline, asbestos and tobacco, and they do not want to see a fourth health crisis in 60 years that costs them billions of dollars in terms of health care and, and disease and death. So the problem is we love our technologies. Um, we, the answer is we need to find another technology that does not use radio waves because these do harm the cells on a, uh, a subtle level, and the effects are cumulative. And it is anticipated that roughly a third of the population is already symptomatic now from these devices, but the doctors in America are not connecting the dots like they are in uh, Europe and elsewhere. Yeah, I was kind of skeptical about EMF first, but I've had a couple of friends come on the podcast to talk about it. And then also, if people want to look up Dr. Mercola um, right, right. On, on YouTube, he's got a big, uh, pretty good series and section about EMF and then... I had the guy uh, Martin Zucker from the book on grounding, and uh, the guy Marty's a, Marty's a friend of mine. I, I know him here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, he's an acquaintance, and he did write that book on earthing. Yes. Yeah, and so it was Clint Ober. It wasn't actually Martin, but Clint, the guy who was involved in the book. Uh, he was right. with Dr. Mercola, and they did a whole video series showing, you know, people that are skeptical showing the actual readings of when you are touching a lamp and when the you know the power's on, the power's off, and so if somebody wants to try to understand this deeper before making some changes but yeah we're almost out of time so i mean what are some takeaways that people can get you know when you talk a bunch of numbers and stuff some people's ears just turn off so i want to make right, sure right. to give some takeaways well first of all educate yourself don't take my word for it or, or anybody who you know who, who espouses this do some reading on your own look at what they're doing in europe uh, on my website there is a page that i wrote um, uh, EMF research citations, no, I'm sorry, cell phone and radio frequency risks. And I have a list of 20 websites on that page, each with um, dozens of articles and uh, research studies showing that there is validity to this. Uh, so basically, reduce use, increase distance, uh, get, keep your landline, 
get a corded telephone instead of a cordless telephone and give that number out to your friends and family and say, call that number first. Put that as the default number in your cell phone or whatever phone you use and um, call that number first. And if I'm not home, then I'm on my cell. Call me on my cell. And when you're home, make outgoing calls on your landline. As far as Internet is concerned, uh, go back to hardwired solutions. If you don't have Ethernet wires in your wall, which most homes don't, you can put Ethernet cables at least in the room that you're in uh, for multiple computers. Shut off, learn how to disable the Wi-Fi or have an Internet technology guide or or woman do that for you. Uh, Same thing on your your laptop. And then uh, put your uh, laptop and your iPad in airplane mode and your cell phone in airplane mode when you're not connecting to the internet, when you're just watching a movie. So you're not exposed to the beacon signal that's sent out every uh, couple of minutes, especially when you put a, a tablet in front of a child. We just recently found out a workaround, by the way, to connect an iPad to the internet using a, a series of adapters and the lightning port or the 30 pin port where you charge at the bottom. And then through a USB hub, It's if you go to safer use uh, of computers on my website and scroll down to the radio frequency section. I have the links there for these uh, these guys who found a ways to do it, two different variations. And then as far as electric fields, you know, find the circuit for your bedroom. Just make sure that you don't shut off the um, uh, smoke detectors unless you have fresh batteries there. Make sure your refrigerator and your furnace still work. But you don't have to turn off the whole house, just the circuits um, in and around your bedroom uh, bedrooms in the house. And there are remote ways of controlling that uh, that that I can help people with, uh, and also get a little inexpensive Gauss meter. I have a page EMF meters and instruments that you can uh, go to and get inexpensive or more expensive meters to measure these things for yourself, and that's really helpful. Uh, and I have another link for a, a list of the safe exposure guidelines according to the building biology profession. Uh, and maybe become a building biologist yourself. Go to hbelc.org and learn about the seminar uh, seminars that we have and the career certification track to become a building biologist. All right. Well, that sounds good. Well, thanks for spending time with us, and hopefully people will turn down the Wi-Fi at the minimum. So I've noticed a difference. I mean, I, I didn't have Internet in my house for, I don't know, I'd say a month or so, but when I got the Wi-Fi router in, I felt it. I could feel it Hmm. in the house. It just had a different energy to where you couldn't relax as much. And this guy, uh, one of my friends who's a neurosurgeon who's came on the podcast, he says that it basically hyper-stimulates your cells. And I I have to say that I felt it. But after I did the hard wire, uh, I feel back to normal. Maybe not 100% normal, but I feel back to normal. So it could be in my head, but it definitely felt like there was something going on. It's real, Evan. Um, You know, the majority of people whom I work with are symptomatic to these things, which is a blessing in a way because they're the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones who are going to take action. Um, whenever I give lectures on this and I say, how many of you feel heat when you have a cell phone next to their, your head? Half the hands go up. Uh, and, and mostly people can notice the difference when you remove these influences if they become habituated to it like, like you did. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks. And it's been, been good You're talking welcome. to you. Uh, Thank you very much, Evan. Uh, You're very welcome, and I'm very glad to be on your podcast. All right. If you made it to the end of this episode, that's awesome. I'm glad that you tuned in today. I have some really cool guests coming up. But, yeah, like I said at the beginning, you know, I was curious about what you all would think about a question and answer episode because I email all the people back most of the time and give them the exact answer that they're looking for. But there's a few 
repeat questions that I keep getting that may be interesting. So I kind of flag those and I'm going to save it because my friend Ben, uh, on his podcast, he does question and answer and he says it's, you know, it's fun. It works out and then he'll transition and then do guest interviews also. So I may just do a whole episode of question and answer may end up being like 30 or 45 minutes and then do some of these 45 minutes to an hour with guest. So you can go to iTunes and write a review for the show. You can go on my Facebook page. You can go on my Twitter page. Uh, if you want to stalk my Instagram and see what pictures I'm posting up, you can do that. That's always fun. And then just my website, not just paleo.com. I did a homepage redesign and I had the rim rehab. I had a 15% discount on it if you were listening closely until July 4th, but I've extended that for another week just for people that have missed out. A couple people missed out and I guess just now heard that. So until July 12th, which is Saturday, so you got four days, you can get 15% off rim rehab. Of course, I suggest getting the full package where you get the action guide, the audio book that I narrated, and then you get the four hours of interviews. They're not really interviews, though. They're more of like highly structured, I would almost call them lectures. So you get four of those, and my friend Wendy Myers, Beverly Meyer, my chiropractor, Dr. Tony Maxwell, and then the most popular episode of all time, Dr. Tim Gersmar, the naturopathic doctor, he was on there too, talking about different herbs and relaxants and things that interfere with sleep and stuff like that. So that's all at rimrehab.com, or you can just go to my website, not just paleo.com. You'll see that book. You click on that book, it'll take you to the site. When you go to checkout, Enter the code REM, doesn't matter if it's capital or not, just REM15, you get 15% off. So thanks, and I will talk to you next week. Have a good one, and take care of yourselves. Bye.